Hi, and welcome to Timeout Coaching with Tony Garbalotto. Uh, today, I have one of the rising stars of British coaching, a former professional player and now head coach of one of the top academy programs in the UK. I'm pleased to welcome Coach Will Maynard. Coach, it's really, you know, I'm, I'm always interested to, uh, to talk to a coach, a young coach who, um, you know, has been involved in the game, you know, has some background, but, you know, is putting together, you know, really an, inc- an incredible project there at Charmwood. So, you know, first of all, let's get, you know, straight into it and find out about how you were introduced to the game of basketball and um, where you learned to play, who were some of your influences um, at, at a young age that possibly also had an impact in your coaching career as well up to date. Yeah, so I started playing, I think it was year five or six. Um, I don't know if you know, Dave Harris uh, used to play for Leicester Riders back in the day. Super famous. Yeah, it's a big name in Leicester. And obviously he he just randomly came one day to our school. We did like a primary school. It was every Friday after school, um, me and just a couple of friends, like none of my family played basketball. None of all my friends played basketball before that. So it was kind of just like a... It kind of just happened naturally in terms of getting into it on a Friday after school club. There was a couple of our mates and we just did that every single Friday. And then from there, we had like these little sessions on a Saturday, Saturday mornings uh, down at Fuller's Community College in Leicester and where we used to play. Like Dave, Dave used to run it. We used to come there and play for two to three hours every Saturday morning. And then it kind of just moved on from there really he ran like the the young heroes basketball club in leicester and there were some really really talented players uh above me as well like tom ward not obviously not from worthing but he played for played for us in the past josiah uh ramaya there was a lot of really talented players so we kind of just followed followed their footsteps really and started playing national league at under 14s i believe um and yeah just kind of grew from there really and at this time, um, was there any time that you were actually going to watch like riders play when you started to get involved in the game of basketball or were, were you just, you know, you loved playing, that was it. You didn't really, un, you know, know about some of the other levels and stuff. No, we used to, we used to watch it. Obviously if Russell Levis has watched this, don't tell him this, but <laughs> me and me and a couple of our friends used to down at John Sanford, we used to sneak around the back to get in. <laughs> Like sometimes at like half times because it would be free from half time. I remember. Yeah. And we used to like come and sneak around the back, and then even sometimes before the games, we used to sneak around the back. So I remember going to watch some of their games. I remember um, when Yorick Williams, before his second stint with the Riders, when he used to play there. I remember going to watch him. He was like one. Of, he was my favorite player growing up. Right. That's the reason why I wore number five as a player and all that kind of stuff. Wow. So we were kind of we were kind of exposed to it. Um, from early and I remember every Saturday night we'd try and get down to John Sanford we used to have our own little like kind of like student section kind of thing but it's just like literally about 15 of us used to go down there and just watch the riders every, every weekend so you know Leicester I mean to to a lot of I mean really the public should really understand this there is a lot of history in 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 the Leicester area I mean I'm going to miss out a lot of people here but let's just say you know the James brothers Carl Brown you know Dave Harris these all these type of people and and so you know the access to the game am I right in saying would have been a little bit more easier than certain areas or there was, you know, once you got involved, there was, you know, there looked like there were quite a lot of, op- you know, opportunities or aspects to be able to be involved in the game. Yeah. So, so growing up, there was, 
it's, it's, it's crazy to think about it now that there, how many different teams there was in Leicester just, just growing up. So we have, obviously, Dave Harris had his young heroes basketball stuff going on. Leicester Warriors, Carl Brown had all their stuff. Um, and then also, people forget about is Dave Greenaway was there for a long time right. as well. So he did a lot of like the, they were called Leicester Cannons. So it was like three different, three different teams really, all in the Leicester, in the Leicester area. So, and especially my age group growing up, that they were super, we were super competitive as well. We were kind of like, like our team was like a little bit, a bunch of misfits and all that kind of stuff. Like I was playing power forward at six foot two and all that kind of stuff. But we were really competitive um, for, for what we had. And then obviously Leicester Warriors were really competitive. I think they won it. They won the final fours one year. So I think if we all came together in, as one big Leicester unit, we would have been really, really, really good. I think, uh, obviously, Rafael Thomas Edwards still playing now. Yeah. Elliot Sentence still playing playing now. A guy called Marcus Samuel Brown, Carl Brown's nephew. So there's there was a ton of Leicester players in that area, and like it was it was actually good for us to be a part because those games we used to play against Warriors were super, super competitive, and it was kind of like a rival. We were all like good friends and stuff, but it was really good, like a. Uh, environment to grow up around being 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 a part of those rivalries and then from you know your younger younger age experiences where what was the next stage you know you started to obviously take the game a little bit more seriously uh, how did that progress yeah so I think I as I said I started playing in year five or year six and it was just like one one week after school after after school on a Friday evening and then started progressing more and more once I got to year seven um we actually had a coach called Gary Burton who does a lot of the Northampton, the NSB, the NSB stuff who's there in Northampton now. He was a big influence on my coaching, on my basketball stuff. So we used to, he used to let us come in and shoot every lunchtime. We were in there every lunchtime. We'd have practice after school. And then it kind of, once we got to National League stuff with Dave Harris, we used to play, we used to practice twice a week on a Tuesdays and Thursdays. And then it kind of got to like year 10 and 11. I thought I was making a little bit more progress than some of the other guys I had in my team. Cause I played, I played a lot of sports when I was younger. I was, I played, I played squash, I played cricket, I played rugby. And then kind of like year eight, year nine, I focused more and more on basketball. And then like year 10 and 11 is when I kind of realized I actually, I could be okay at this. You know what I mean? So I kind of really put all my focus on that. And then it was funny, really, we had a, it was the Burley camps up here at Charmwood. Um, but it was run by Phil Gledel, uh, Latero Williams, obviously Russell was involved. And there was one summer camp where I came and there was a lot of good players there, like Connor Washington came, Rafael Thomas said, there was a lot of good players. And I was kind of like, I didn't really know anyone. I wasn't like one of the better, better guys there, but I came and I did really, really well. Like I was, I like stood my ground and all that kind of stuff. And then a couple of weeks later, Phil, Russell and Latero Williams actually came to my house to try and get me to come to Charmwood College but back then it was called Burley. So they tried to get me to come to Burley. I was originally going to go to Beecham with Dave Greenaway. So I actually, I, I made the move and I came to Loughborough to, to, to join Burley College in sixth form. So that's where it really, really got, got more serious for me. And that's where I really took it, took it a lot more seriously. Right. Okay. And then from there, so you, you know, who, who would have been, who would have coached you at college then? And then was that starting to, you know, resonate with you, you know, how you were being taught or you were still just in pure player mode at that moment? 
I was I was still in pure player mode, to be honest with you. I didn't really think I always wanted to get into like teaching or coaching or something along those lines. But back then I was just so indulged in the game. I I didn't really care about anything else. Like I was just all about basketball, 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 basketball. So it's funny. Latero Williams, uh, former captain of the Leicester Riders, he was the academy coach back in the day. And also, I think it was the year after Rob uh, was teaching in Birmingham, because I think Rob was doing a year in Birmingham where he was coaching the Riders and um, still teaching in Birmingham. So it was the year the year after when he was full-time at the Riders. So he would do like all our individual sessions um, up at Charmer College. So I obviously had that amazing opportunity that I think there was like five of us on the program. So it was, it was the first year of dice as well. So it was like on the, or the ACE program back in the day. So yeah. he was doing all our individual kind of stuff and Latero LT was doing like our team based stuff. And then I would also play for, I'd still did one year back in Leicester with Dave Harris um, before in my first year, I did a year with Dave Harris. And then the year after I moved actually to Loughborough Cardinals where Dave Greenaway was my coach for one year. Right. So I kind of had it like the best of the best of both worlds because I wanted to play higher. So I think I started playing Division Three in my second year of college, whereas before that I was just playing under 18s, under 16s. Right. Um, and then obviously having the opportunity to practice with the riders as well. I think I got a couple caps throughout my first two years with the riders early on because um, they used to practice at, at Charmwood every day. So I'd have a full day full day of school and then sometimes I'd have academy training and then riders on top so it would be long days for me travelling to and from Loughborough and Leicester but I, I loved every minute of it and being around the, the pro guys as a 16 year old was just like fascinating yeah. to me awesome and then uh, you went to Loughborough to study um, you know how was that you know dovetailing with the playing um, obviously you know you were right there at the start of this you know incredible structure that Russell was starting and Rob obviously was starting to put together um but you were actually in in it there so talk to me about you know the plane at the university and you know who coached you at university as well yeah so i actually took a i took i went i went to the states for one year after high school so i did i did go to states but it just wasn't for me the situation wasn't right um but yeah we could talk about that another day but that's obviously i deferred because i did apply to loughborough college as well so I deferred my year while well, I took a year out and went to the States and whatnot. But when I first came back, um, they just appointed Drew Sullivan as the head coach. So he was doing the head coaching stuff alongside playing because he'd been there for a year already as well. So obviously having his knowledge and experience, as you know, like you've obviously coached him and all that kind of stuff. But just the way he thinks about the game and his mindset is was insane. And then obviously with the riders, that 2012-2013 year was one of the best riders teams in in writers' history, I believe. You had the likes of Zaire, Jay Kuznard, uh, Pavel Lazonski, John Fraley, the big guy who got hurt, and then Anthony Rowe came in and replaced him, and then obviously yeah, yeah. Drew, yeah. Jamel and Connor were there. So that experience and getting to practice with them day in, day out was was something that you can't really, can't, can't couldn't get anywhere else in the country at that point of time. And as a, I think I was 19 uh, at the time, having that opportunity to practice with them every day and then obviously get my minutes more with the Division 2 team back then was, sure. was a really, really good experience. 
And so um, from there, what was the process to, um, you know, you were at university still practicing, you know, playing, you know, at Division Two. Um, what what was the next stage? And you're still here, I'm assuming, not thinking coaching, but more just playing, you know, like I want yeah, to be a player. So I was, Did you yeah, ever? I was, I was so, I was so like focused on the playing aspect and I wanted to be a pro. I wanted to, I wanted to play for the BBL team because obviously it was so hard to get minutes or any playing time on that team. So all I was worried about was, okay, I got to perform. I got to go to practice every single day. I'm just almost like basketball first, education second. I was just there for the basketball more than anything. Um, it's funny because I was, do- I was actually doing a coaching degree because I did want to get into coaching. I knew, almost knew I wanted to get into coaching at that time, but it wasn't like, I want to put all my folks into coaching. It was just like, okay, yeah, I'm doing this because of the basketball's here and the program's here and I just want to be a part of the basketball program. So, yeah, it was it was tough managing it all and obviously doing the two practices a day and then a lot of games. But, no, really good experience to, to be around some of those guys. Um, but, yeah, all my focus was just pretty much on basketball at that point. In my final year, actually, to, like go moving on to the coaching, I actually did some voluntary work with Josh Merrington, um, who was back then head coach of Charmwood at the time because I knew I wanted to get into coaching, but I would obviously more playing, but the opportunity was there and Russell said, okay, why don't you just go and do a couple of hours with Josh a week here and there? And I was like, all right, yeah, I'll go and do it to try and like broaden my, broaden my horizon. So I was never like, I was a, I was an okay player, but I wasn't like, I was never super athletic or I wasn't. So I thought I need to have a backup plan. If obviously if this, this coaching stuff doesn't really go to plan, um, sorry if the playing stuff doesn't go to plan so that's sure, I've got, sure. got some experience under Josh who, who helped me a little a lot as well down down when I was uh, in my final year at university and then you you, you played at Surrey Is yeah. how, how did that manifest itself and talk a little bit about that experience yeah so I was I was looking to go pro I was looking straight after my four years I thought I was good enough I thought I could play in the BBR I, I was quite confident at that stage um and yeah obviously I started speaking I spoke to a couple of BBL teams um off the back of my head I can't really remember but I know Russell helped me as well I, I went to a trial trial in Spain um in a little city there and then Surrey came up with their general manager spoke with Russell um and Russell was like yeah you need to give him a shot you need to do all this and then yeah, spoke to Creon, had a couple of practices down there with Surrey and then they kind of offered me and I was just like, I, I didn't really know what to think because I was like, <laughs> I've been trying to do this for so long and I want to be, a, I want to have a professional contract and all that stuff. And I was like, oh, wow, like this is this is actually real. I'm going to move there. So I, I was quite confident. I just moved down there straight away. Uh, I think I, I think I got my contract only a, a couple of weeks before preseason started. So it was all kind of like a late process. Right. Um, obviously they're trying to find like all the, the main guys and stuff. And I was kind of like a, the last piece of the puzzle, if that makes sense. And just, yeah, it just kind of all happened super quick. And yeah, I was there for a couple of, oops, sorry. Sorry about that. That's okay. Uh, uh, yeah, I was there with, uh, with some real good players. Obviously Taylor was, Taylor was still there. Taylor, uh, Quincy Taylor, sorry, was there. So it was, uh, I really enjoyed my experience there for sure. And you know what? Any anything you can talk about, like you know, Creon is uh, 
you know, known as a players coach. So in some ways, uh, a little bit different to, you know, to, to Rob and, you know, like a, even Drew and those other guys. But, you know, talk to me a little bit about Creon and, you know, what were some of the things you picked up from, from him? Yeah, I think I think you hit the nail on the head. Like he is massively a players coach. Like some of the stories he would tell is like he would take he would take pay cuts so we could go and get food after the game, and he would he would like take us out. He would go around his house for meals. His wife would cook for all of us. Um, if there was anything wrong, he would be the first one there to sort it out. Um, but no, everyone everyone who's played for Korea and everyone who does play for Korea, I'm sure they would all say that they love playing for him. Um, but yeah, just his relationships with the players is 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 uh, it doesn't go unnoticed um, in terms of how the players feel about him, and he gets the players to like almost run through a brick wall for him. Um, sure. And you can see when they they play super hard, they all all love playing down there. Um, but no, his his player relationships is something that is quite admirable, really. So fr- you know, from this you know around this time, were you still? like in this kind of player mode or did you start to think about how could I, you know, make the transition, you know, you know, what do I need to do? Who do I need to speak to that type of stuff? Or what were, what were your thoughts about, you know, going into coaching? Not really. Cause I was still so much on the, on the player side of things. Um, unfortunately my time at Surrey got cut short. So I, I, I got kind of released. There was some off court stuff, which was, which was stupid. Which I won't go into any details, but, um, I kind of left and I came back to the riders and I was still, pra- I came back and started practicing with the riders again. And obviously they were again that year to come back to, it was like the Taylor King, Andy Thompson, um, Eric Robertson, Drew Sullivan, like their team was lo- like, their team was loaded. Uh, so I came back and I was practicing and I was just like, I didn't really fit, not feel part of the team, but it was hard to come in like halfway through. So I was like, it kind of knocked, it kind of knocked my confidence back a little bit. So I was like, mm, I don't really know if I want to do playing. So I kind of stopped completely. I stopped playing completely, wanted to get away from basketball for a little bit. So I actually started doing my, I was going to do my PGCE um, halfway through. So I was, I started uh, doing like some teaching assistant stuff down at a school in Leicester near my parents' house. So I moved back in into into my house with my parents. So I was doing some teacher assistant stuff for four or five months, um, and I wanted to go into my PGC and kind of like not forget about basketball. But it was just like, okay, I don't really have any, many opportunities or things didn't really go my way or whatever happened. So I was kind of ready to take a break from it. And then, really randomly, Russell called me up one day and he said do you want a job at Charmwood? And it was all just like, wow. Like I, I didn't really know what to expect. So I didn't really have time to think about coaching. I didn't really have time to think about what I want to do or how I want to coach. And I didn't really, obviously I've had a lot of experience from my personal thing of being around sure. Rob, being around really good coaches, but it wasn't like, I didn't really go out and seek that coaching experience because it wasn't something that I was really pursuing uh, really um so yeah it kind of all happened super quick um so I think he spoke to me and then I started like a month later I started in June um and Josh Merrington was still there at the time but then Josh left in like August so then I was all of a sudden like almost head of this program because Josh had left and I'd I'd never coached I'd never, never coached a team before never done a practice didn't know how to do a practice plan like it all just happened so quick and I really didn't have time to think about what I was doing I kind of just not winged it but I kind of just like got thrown into the deep end and I just had to think on my feet and just kind of move and then 
the first year I was here, we had a Spanish, a Spanish guy come in and help us at, or who was like the, the head of the head of the program and head of head coach of the EABL. But obviously I had a better understanding of how British programs worked and sure. kind of how to manage people, how to manage the students. I had a really good understanding of what the program was because I'd obviously been through the program. I'd been through Charmwood, been through Loughborough and I played on the BBL team. So I kind of knew and understood everything. So I kind of managed like the, the runnings of the program and where he was kind of like the, the head coach for the EABL team. Sure. Um, but that was kind of like how my first year worked really. And it was all just like, it was almost a blur how it all happened and it all just happened so quickly. And yeah, it just, it just really got me coaching. And I was, I was, I was head coaching the under 18s team at the time. So right. he was coaching the Spanish guy was coaching the division three and the EABL team. And I was like assisting EABL head coach under 18s. Sure. And were you at this time, now you, you're thrust into this, you know, it's kind of your first job. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm assuming that, you know, you felt some like, you know, like this is actually, I really could enjoy doing this. I want to get better at this. Were you reaching out to um, other academy coaches, um, developing relationships with them? Or were you speaking to Rob or, you know, the Loughborough situation? How, how, how did how did that work straight at the, at the start? Yeah, so at the start, I, I wish I had spoke to more academies and how it worked back then. But obviously being in a place like Leicester, you kind of, you're kind of privileged to have such amazing coaches around you. It's almost not that you don't need to go and reach out, but you've got so I've got so many coaches in the program already. So obviously you've got Krumesh who's who helped me a lot throughout the first year. He was head of the girls program. Um, obviously the Spanish coach had coached in the ACB before and all that kind of stuff. Then you've got Rob who's been obviously around the BBL for years. Mark Jaron was there. Uh, Matt, Matt Harbour was there my first year. Uh, so there was a ton of ton of really good coaches. But I wish I. I wish I spoke to more academies and how how they do things at certain different academies. I wish I did that from an earlier stage, for sure. Interesting. Um, so is there anything that is, you're saying that, you know, you'd wish you'd done that? Like, at this stage, did you have, like, um, anything that you were pinning yourself, your kind of coaching philosophy to? You know, I want my players to play super hard. Defensively, we want to be this, or we want to be up-tempo. Up or were you taking stuff from from Rob and the Riders or from, you know, from Kumesh? What, what, was your, what were your early thoughts on, like, how you wanted to coach? Yeah, so I... I always wanted the t my team to play fast and I wanted to kind of like, obviously I was a big shooter back in the day, like when I used to play. So I wanted my team to have the confidence to be able to shoot the three. Um, so we kind of, we I kind of installed that into, into them early and I tried to install that into them early and trying to have like a, just a real confidence, a confidence about them to be able to, to play hard. And I wanted to play up tempo as well. So we run, we, we ran the floor really well. Uh, we pushed the tempo really well. Um, but yeah, did you, did you want? Did you want? Uh, do you want your? Is this? Is, have you changed that? Or this? Uh, you know, that's that's part of your philosophy now. Yeah, no, I've not changed that. I want I, every, any team I would ever coach. I want them to play quick, and I want them to play high tempo. Obviously, it's different when you because obviously coaching academies, you get different personnel in each year. Sure, and whatnot, absolutely. Yeah. You kind of have to try and develop the players into into what you want and and trying to get them install that confidence into them early. Um, but no, it's not really changed. Just try to really develop that 
um, as best as we can and finding ways to develop that, whether that's a, a five-out space team, whether that's a four-out one, in different ways you can get the best out of your players each year. Um, but so no, that, we all that, that was going to be... Uh, sorry, sorry, coach. Uh, that was going to be one of my questions. You know, uh, you um, we'll talk a little bit. We're going to talk a lot about this this whole uh, structure um, that you have built and been such an important part of. But um, are you looking for um, players, or are you trying to develop players with like basically multi-skilled? That you know, pretty much all of them can can hit the free, even if you play you know four out one in. Are you still you still want pretty much everyone on the floor to be able to shoot? Is that is that something you would go with? Yeah, hundred percent. Well, so we I, I would try and develop everyone in into becoming a shooter. I think obviously the way the game's changing now and everyone's shooting a three, um, and you don't see that many people in the back to the basket game these days. But no, I try to develop everyone, especially such a young age. I think it's who am I to tell someone that they can't do this or they can't do that? Like I think it's trying to just try and develop their whole their whole game as a whole um, and, and give them that confidence. Obviously you have to, you have to do it in a way so they don't go crazy. So I don't want my six eleven guy shooting 25 threes a game. Do you know what I mean? I think there's a way, the way, a way to go, to go around it where you can say, okay, if you're in this position, you can shoot or if you're in this position, by all means shoot. If you're wide open, hundred percent shoot it. Like I think there's ways around it where you can kind of structure it um, into getting the right shots as well. Cause obviously when you do play up, a high tempo and you want everyone to shoot the ball there is I think the one of the biggest the hardest things to manage is that shots the shot selection um because they kind of get into a frenzy and they're like okay yeah coach give me the green light I need to shoot 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 right? it's like no we still want to find the right shots and finding the right shots in transition and finding the right shots out of sets is is just as important as playing quick and up tempo and I think it takes a time it takes a while to develop that but once they do get in and once it starts to click I think they they really do understand where like sharing the ball and playing quick and having five guys on the floor that can, that are all an offensive threat is, is, is quite difficult to, to guard. So let's get, let's take a, a, a minute to discuss about, you know, this, this, what I consider one of the most, you know, complete structures, um, you know, in, in, in the game, in this, in this country, you know, this whole riders organization, but specifically, obviously your, your part. So you, have, you have Charmwood, you have Loughborough, you have the, the riders professional team, um, you know, talk to me about how you link with those, you know, with those other two parts of the, of the system and, 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 how much kind of like uh, um, you know, kind of like involvement is with each of each 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 aspect? Yeah. So how it works, I think the biggest I think the biggest thing that Russell has got is that, or the riders have got is that he gets the coaches to coach at all different levels, um, and I think that's one thing that I was fortunate for straight away. So I was assisting the BBL. Um, obviously, is as a as a first as a first time coach would never coach the basketball game before going straight into assistant coach roles, kind of like, I'm lucky here. Like I'm, I'm under Rob, I'm under Mark. Obviously there, we had a, some other assistants there as well. So having that opportunity to see what Rob does on a day-to-day basis and also how he manages games and how he does scout, how he does video, how the other assistants do video, and then developing that into with my group as well. And obviously Mark, the head coach of Loughborough, would do the same. He, he assistant coach 
he's his assistant coach for the riders as well. So it's all kind of like interlinked. Um, so we all kind of like help each other out in that sense. Do you think that that accelerated your, you know, development as a coach, you know, like absolutely in a quicker, much quicker way or, um, you know, to, just any thoughts on that? Yeah, 100%. I think you just, because when you're playing, you don't necessarily pick up on small things and you don't really like, you're not that focused. But I think when you're actually in it and you want to be a coach and then seeing what Rob does on a day-to-day basis and seeing what other coaches around the academy, you're like, okay, I'll take some of that. Or, no, that probably won't work in my group. I won't do use that. Or, yeah, I need to definitely do that. So it's kind of just like taking, awesome. having having a big having a big emphasis of actually learning from the other coaches around you and taking bits and bobs what you can kind of develop your own your own style and your own game into and one other you know so the, these are fascinating questions and and the reason why of course um i would say newcastle were somewhat there i mean ian did have the academy they've got the link with the university and then obviously the eagles but yeah. you guys have done it at like such a high level in all three phases um are you it, it, the are you at times like driven because of the other parts of you know so like Rob wins the Nash, uh, the the BBL championship you know you're like we've got to try to win a championship yeah. or you know Loughborough being success the success that they've had is that is that yeah, is it kind no, of self perpetuating definitely for me anyway um, obviously I'm super competitive and it's almost like you don't want to be like the odd one out. If like here, say like riders win the treble or Mark's winning bucks five years in a row. It's like, Oh no, I don't actually want to be the odd one out here. I need to go and out and win and be competitive and try and do something big in that year. But no, definitely. I think it, I think it definitely does push you without, without almost you thinking about it really. Like that's a good question. I've never really thought about that really, but thinking back on it now, you're like, yeah, actually, he's done so well this year. We need to go out there and win something or we need to go out there and do something, do something special. And obviously the Charmel program is a little bit different um, in terms of development. We like, are, are, again, for me as well, it's almost not a, it's not about winning and we say it's not about winning, but obviously who doesn't love to win? Like, but sure, sure, no. winning, winning is kind of like a byproduct of what we do, but no, hundred percent. It motivates you to, to develop the players and get, get success when the, when the rest of the program is doing really well. Another question linked into that. Um, do you think, uh, before we get on actually and talk about, you know, what you guys do on a daily basis, but um, do you think that the players, both male and female, that you have at Charnwood, do you think they're also inspired? And do you also think that their ability to be able to be watch and occasionally even be involved in some of the, the, the professional team practices, do you think that's accelerating their development as players? Yeah, I think it. I think it is. Um, I also think there's there's a there's a thing with these young British players nowadays that kind of not take it for granted a little bit, but they're kind of just like, oh yeah, it's BBL, okay. Instead of like, actually, no, I want to make the BBL team this year. Like, we have one or two guys that are like, no, I really want to make the BBL team. I think it. I think it's all about the mindset of the player more than anything. Um, in terms of how far they want to go because obviously we've got all the tools here and we've got the whole program that if a player does really want to be successful they can they can do that and what we've also tried to create is like a it's like a, it's so competitive along the along the way so obviously we've got BBL we've got division one we've got division two we've got under 18s we've got EABL so there's kind of like 
you're never going to be the best player in your practice. Um, no. So we, that's what we, that's what we always try and like say to the kids, like, don't coast, like try and be the best player in this practice and the coaches will see that and the coach will push you up. So if you're the best player in under 18s, there's going to be opportunities to play division two. If you're the best player in division two, there's going to be opportunities for you to play division one. It's kind of like a whole, a whole process of how it works. Obviously it's super, super hard to get any minutes or any like real game time experience with the BBL team because they're so good. But we have got one player at the moment who's, or two players at the moment who are with them like full time. So again, we with this, with this, with this COVID stuff, it's actually helped, kind of helped because they have as much money to bring players in or whatever, whatever, whatever. We've got kind of less players on the roster uh, this year, so it's actually given a really good opportunity for two of our young guys to be around that team uh, every day. Which again, I think has helped the whole environment for the other kids to see that and see them doing well, and they they want to kind of have a part of it as well. Sure, sure. I mean, um, you know, wouldn't you say? Um, uh, do, do, let me. I'll, I'll come back to that. Um, what, what what about uh, the the relationship between all of the coaches? Do you meet on a regular basis as a group, or is it more um, you'll be sitting, you'll go to the practice, you you'll be at Rob's practice, who I know has always been so open to anyone within his own organisation, help him working, um, and then you're sitting there and the players are shooting, and you're able to talk to him afterwards. Is that how it works or, or Yeah, so we, we kinda have like a like all especially the it's kinda like the three it's me, Mark and Rob kinda have like an open relationship um and open conversations about what kind of players uh are out there and what kind of players we're looking for and all that kind of stuff. So the, the the more of the movement between the players and programmers is between myself and Mark. Um, so that like so we've got guys who are practicing sometimes one week, maybe they're not the other. Maybe they're playing one week, maybe they're not the other. So we have a we have a good relationship in that sense, and we're kind of trying to push more and more of our. Obviously, me selfishly, I want to push more and more of my players up, and um, for them to have the opportunity to play Division One. Um, but no, we do have. We do have some good conversations. We've started having. We had obviously with COVID this year. We had a lot of conversations about about who could possibly be uh, the next player for the Riders and who should be playing up and who should be who should have the opportunity um, to do that. So yeah, it's kind of like a. It's not necessarily okay. It's Monday. We're going to meet at this time. It's more like it's just like here and there when we're at practice like you said after a game or after a practice or whatever it may be or Rob may call me up one day and be like hey we need some someone for practice today can you can you send one or someone across it's not necessarily like a a weekly meeting where we sit down and we discuss all our players. Still, it's it's as close as anything like this uh, that would be in the rest of Europe or you know some places in the world. It's as close as anything yeah. that gets to, to to that kind of structure. Yeah. So super yeah. impressive. Um, I talk to think, me. I, I still think we've got a long way to go, and obviously there's still ways that we can we can really improve it, which we're all we're all thinking about as well. So I think we are trying to trying to move forwards. Obviously Russell's got some real real big ideas and what he wants the club to do. So it's it's still it's still not perfect and we're still trying to trying to work on it. But no, it's definitely definitely heading in the right direction. Hold that thought about Russell. We'll talk to him uh, at the end. Um, talk to me about uh, two things. First of all, Charnwood, directly Charnwood. First, um, what's your philosophy with regards to recruiting young players? Um, I'm right in thinking you do have accommodation and you're, you yeah. do have the ability to get some players in from different parts of the country. So talk to me a little bit about recruiting. 
Yeah, so in terms of recruitment, so it's it's always a, a touchy subject at this age group, and people have their own thoughts on it. Um, but no, we do we we all go out and recruit players. Um, a lot, of, in fact, a lot of the players actually email us. So in terms of like, if we run an open day, or we actually get a lot of people coming to us, um, and that's kind of how we select. I don't really necessarily go out and poach players or anything like that. I let them kind of make contact with me first. Um, but we do actually have accommodation. We have a, like a, it's called Field House. Um, it's in like the middle of Loughborough. It's like within walking distance of Charmwood to Scott. Uh, 19, 19 beds for the boys um, wow. and then 15 beds for the girls so there's a lot of opportunity for people to come from elsewhere around the, from around the country um, but yeah it's just in terms of recruiting we'll, we'll probably get them up on an open day or a visit and we'll assess them and we'll watch them game tape and then well, obviously we do want we want we want the best players we want to be competitive but we want to also help develop develop the players as well so whatever whatever they need and whatever they what's best for them we can kind of put them into into their team straight away so for example it won't just be me necessarily recruiting for Charmwood it might be Rob he might have a conversation for example with the likes of like a Hosanna Katenge where he actually never played for Charmwood really apart from EABL and under 18 and a little bit of under 18s but he was brought straight in to practice with uh, Division One men's team so that kind of like wasn't my recruiting it's kind of like okay yeah here's what's best for you you need to do this, but you can still play ABL on the Wednesdays and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, it's obviously we do want the best players and we and we'll, we'll, we'll work to get the best players, but we are trying to build more of a relationship with our National Junior League programme. Um, we were getting more and more, more and more kids come through um, from our National Junior League programme. Um, so just trying to build that relationship there as well and try and get more Leicester kind of base kids coming through as well. Right. Um what uh, describe like a typical kind of day week um you know obviously you you have uh, ea bo on a uh, on a wednesday um you have something at the weekend games at the weekend what what's what's the kind of typical um day day and week for yeah, charlton i kind of go through i kind of go for like a full week um obviously it's all dependent on games and rest days and all that kind of stuff but we normally go 14 practices a week um and that's wow. Every every player would get that, whether you're under 18s, Division Two, Division One, BBL, whatever. You always predominantly get 14 practices per week, um, and then we kind of schedule in around their school schedule. Um, we get them to do individuals, um, so whether that's one or two or three, uh, no, no, well, up to four players really in an in an individual, and they'll get two to three of those per week as well, built in around their class schedule, and then on top of that, we got. Um, strength conditioning as well so they probably get three three strength conditioning sessions per week it's been a little bit difficult this year because we sure. normally have we have normally have access to the strength and uh, the power-based gym at Loughborough University which is like world-class facilities and again for our young athletes to be around like the likes of uh, Dillian White in there uh, some famous Swimmers, fields, and, yeah, swimmers, yeah, absolutely, yeah. Being yeah. that kind of like elite environment is so good for them to be around, but they normally get 
three of those per week. And then obviously Wednesdays is game day, uh, EABL. And then however many National League games we've got on the weekend as well. We also have some other stuff going on as well. So we've got like a sports psychology guy with us who's helping us out this year um, and helped us out last year. He's doing some stuff if they need it or, or video sessions. It all just depends on what kind of like, what games we have going on, what kind of, what kind of week load we're on um, and all that kind of stuff. Just uh, briefly, also talk about your, um, you know, the, the the you know winning winning the national, you know, the the the, the academy league um, and the championships on that on that year, um, which was, you know, I'm assuming is your first major trophy. Is that correct? Yeah. Well, we won the in my first year of coaching uh, with the under 18s. I won the the, the national cup. Um, we beat Manchester, I think. Yeah, Manchester right. in the final yeah. in Manchester. So that was kind of like my first, that was my first ever final I've been to. That was the first year coach. It was kind of like, I looked at halftime, we was up by like 15, 20 points. I was like, <laughs> wow, this is crazy. But yeah, we won that. And then the year, was it the year after? I think it was the year after. Yeah, my first year coaching the EABL, we won the, the EABL against Barking. Um, and obviously, I'm good friends with James as well, so we talk, I talked to him a little bit about that. Um, but you know, yeah, that was that was a crazy game, and obviously, the talent we had that year was was insane. The likes of Hosanna, Hosanna was a big time player for us, and Niall, Niall Harris actually going like obviously Dave Harris was my coach, and then I'm I end up coaching his son um, at the academy. So that was just that was a crazy feeling, um, and obviously for the boys and the girls to do it on the same day was. Was insane for the the academy in the program. Awesome. Um, Talk very quickly just about your um, where you are now as a coach. Still very young, um, you know, in in charge of this incredible program. Um, What are you trying to get better at? You know, where do you think you need to get better at, and what are you trying to do to 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 help that along? Um. I don't think there's necessarily like one thing that I'm really focused on getting better at. I think it's just improving on a daily basis and picking up things from from everywhere. Um, I'm start. I'm trying to hold my players more accountable and picking up like the, the smaller details in that in that sense. Um, so holding players accountable for more like like minute details. I think that's always a hard thing to do, and especially when there's a lot of stuff going on and being able to see, okay. In a, in a fast-paced game and a fast-paced practice to see those smaller details and actually holding, finding different ways of holding players accountable to do that. Uh, I think that's one thing I'm trying to work on. Um, again, just having, always having good relationships with the players. I'll take that from from Rob Crean. I always want to have really good relationships with my players. Obviously, it's a little bit different in an academy situation, an academy setting. Um, but no, having, having uh, good relationships, I'm always trying to work on that. But no, I don't think it, I don't think there's necessarily one thing that I'm really like. Okay, I need to focus on this. Need to focus on this. It's, I'm kind of like having like a broad a broad mindset about it and just thinking. Okay, yeah. If I see something, okay, yeah, okay, I actually need to work on that, or I need, I don't really need to work on that necessarily, or I need to do this, need to do that. I think it's just having like an open mind and thinking and trying to trying to develop all aspects of the game really.
Sure. I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated by, and, and, I, and I don't think we really understand it well enough from, from the outside looking in about this whole structure. I keep coming back to it. Um, but, you know, um, obviously, you know, you've got the focal points of people like Rob and I, I obviously know him, you know, ex- yeah. extremely well and I know how he works and stuff. But, you know, you've even got people like Pablo and, you know, uh, like you say, Mark Jaram and all of the coaches that have been through the program and are still there at this moment um it's it's got to be something that fuels your coaching further quicker um just by being around these uh people at this moment a hundred percent i think that's one thing that i'm not i don't necessarily again i'll maybe speak about this a little bit later but i don't necessarily go out and read a load of articles and all that kind of stuff i try to try and keep it from my own personal experience and getting to know people and speaking to people and how do they do things and all that kind of stuff. But even this year, having, we've got three new coaches just in the academy this year, all from Spain. They've coached in, they coach the highest, uh, highest level in Spain in the women's competition. They've coached Leb Silva, obviously having Pablo around, who's been in the riders for four, four or five years now. Uh, Jesper Sundberg, who's head of the women's program, uh, who's coached in Sweden, coaches the national team for the Swedish team as well. So I think it's just having all those people around you. you, you there's so many things to pick up on, on a daily basis. Even when you're sitting there, you're watching, you're watching them coach, you're watching a practice and also having the, just having the opportunity to go and sit in a practice is like something that a lot of young coaches don't have. Um, but no, it's just, it's, it's a really good, good place to be around. And there's so many opportunities where you can actually pick things up and learn things and learn new things. And I'm always a guy that's trying to learn as much as I can. I'm open to learning. I'm not saying, so I'm still so, yeah, I've only been, co- I've been coaching for, this is my fourth year. So I've not, I've hardly done anything so far. I'm not like saying, oh, I don't need to do this, don't need to do that. I'm still trying to learn on a day-to-day basis and having the guys around you and having so many different voices and opinions around you is like, so good to be around um last point then on this whole rider situation i mean um i always felt that uh just taking the riders as a, as a, as a per se, it's um, obviously Rob is the person that gets the, 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 the public glory. And, and so he should. Um, but, you know, you've got this kind of triangle, you got Kevin, you got Rob, you got Russell, um, you know, talk about Russell, uh, really interesting. Russell Levinson, we're talking about here, but, you know, very interesting character, someone that um, has been involved in, was involved in the early Lions program programs um and, you know came to to leicester roughly at the same time as rob and has put this put together this program but you know what to talk a little bit about what russell does and how he's uniquely been able to put this program together yeah it's, it's crazy what he's done so obviously back in the back when i think i think riders were about to go bust i think before he took over um and then just building it up step by step so i think the first, i think the the Charmwood program was the first program other than the BBL that, that came in. Um, and that's when Latero was coaching. And obviously Russell put that together uh, when I was playing as well. But no, he is, I think the one thing that ever, anyone will say about Russell, that he's super, super passionate. And he's, he said that, he said he wants to create opportunities for British basketball players. And he's done that so for so many different players, including myself. Um, but that's one thing that you can't take away from Russell is his, is his passion and his drive to get to make the club better on a day-to-day basis. Um, the busiest man 
the man who takes the, the most phone calls is crazy. Like you're in a you're in a you're in a car journey with him, and he's taking forty five phone calls. It's like man, it's like so busy. But it's not it's not only just the riders as well. Obviously, he's been he's on the he's on the board of BE now. Um, he's been helping all throughout like this this lockdown stuff with the Lynch Trophy. He's, he, I think he genuinely, genuinely just wants to help British basketball um, grow and help basketball players in England grow. And I think that's one thing that that really comes across with him, um, just trying to help the young British players. Awesome. Um, you're a young coach, um, but you're at you know the highest level. You know within that than being involved with you know BBL and stuff. Talk to me though about the rest of British basketball coaching, you know, I talk about it being a fraternity and if there is a fraternity, um, do you have, you know, good conversations with other uh, coaches of your, at your, at your age, kind of age range, um, at your level? Um, do, do you think that we should be doing more? Do you think there should be more interaction as coaches? What, what talk to me a little bit about British basketball coaching. Yeah. So, I think there I think there is I think a lot of coaches actually have pretty good relationships. I think the thing one thing that's missing is someone to head it all up. Um because I think a lot of coaches will be willing to to go in and speak and share their ideas, but I just don't think there's that one person that's really driving it forward. Um but I think um yeah, so when I first started, I didn't really have any contacts. I didn't know anyone. Um, but obviously, I think one thing that does help is like tournaments like the Harris tournament, for example, where you're the, the night before the final and you're, you're just chatting with all the coaches and more more like events like that actually helps. Um, that's how I first met James and Craig. Uh, and that pretty much, well, that helped, obviously must have helped me get onto the GB uh, set up with that, those guys as well. But just having those conversations and then, since playing more games and going to different academies and building up relationships with like Neil, Matt, uh, Neil Hopkins, Matt Shaw, uh, James, uh, different coaches around the country. I think people are willing to speak with each other and share ideas. I think it's just having the opportunity to first build that relationship, um, whether that be a coaching clinic or whether that be a tournament, whether that be, I don't know, something over Zoom. But I think one thing that has has been really, really good uh, with lockdown and all this COVID stuff is that a lot of coaches, obviously Alan Keane has been doing a lot of hot coaching course, a lot of, yeah. uh, I think he called it the hot seat, uh, where a load of, load of different coaches were on there. Um, some other ones that Neil had been doing uh, with coaches on there. I think that's really, really helped. I think more coaches are willing to do these kind of things. And as you can see, the, the outcome with how many people are on these sessions and how many people are, are dialed in on a day-to-day basis. People are definitely willing to do it. It's just finding, finding someone to drive that and which direction that goes in um, would be, would be uh, beneficial for young coaches. I would say. Any, any, any thoughts from you, you know, briefly about what you um, think, could be done to improve coaching in this country you know is it is it federation led is it british led well well, you know what what what, any thoughts on that yeah i think it i think a lot of things could be federation led um so again bringing bringing it back to uh the spanish guy i've got here he's who's my assistant he's a phenomenal assistant coach and leb leb silver and all that kind of stuff but the amount of just courses he does on a day-to-day basis it's not just a level one two and three and you're done it's like no he's doing he's just finished the course and now he's starting a new one on something else he's just they're topping up 
every day. Like and again, that's just a Spanish one. I'm not not too sure what else they do in other parts of Europe or across the world, but just having the opportunity to do do a course or do a clinic or and whoever that's run by, I think a lot of people would actually take the time to do it. I would love to have something something like that set up in England for, for me just to go and learn from if it's okay one night a week where I have to go on and log on to a Zoom and you get a qualification at the end of it. But again, well, when, we, when we were looking for when we were looking for new guys to come in, we we focus a lot on like the Spanish kind of the kind of area and just the amount of qualifications they have just from different different. Um, uh, coaching courses and whatnot is insane and obviously you look at mine I've got the level one two and three and that's almost about it really there's not much much else obviously you can go on and you can do your level four and you can do your um what's that other one that James and Troy have just done but uh, it's uh, like a FECC yeah that's the one oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah there's obviously yeah. those things but actually in England there's not much you can no. actually go and, and get qualifications from or learn from Potentially, it's a good point. I actually hadn't thought about this, but potentially, just because of you know maybe one of the byproducts of COVID is the fact that um, this online learning platform you know could could change the way that our coach education is delivered, and yeah. it could be much more. It could be more extensive. My worry, though, and it's the exact opposite to someone like yourself or Neil or James or any of the other, you know, pretty high level academy guys is that, you know, to get better at coaching, you do actually have to be on the floor. So it can't just be theory based. You need to be there taking reps. Um, It's like, I I say this to all, all the time. We as coaches demand our players work hard and keep working and keep working and keep putting reps in and get better in this area. And that's what we have to do both on and off the floor but it's not yeah. just an off the floor theory. It has to be an on the floor because you have to learn, well, that actually works for me or I can deliver this in a, in a better way. So yeah. interesting point there. Okay. And again, sorry, sorry just, just on that point, like going back to it as well, there's like what you said, a lot of it comes from experience as well. And that's where I think, again, I've been lucky. I've not done much theory and I've not done much of that, but actually the experience I've had, around a lot of the different players and coaches this really helped me so again yeah, yeah you have to you have to have the best of both worlds and getting young british clo- play, uh, coaches on the floor more would would definitely benefit I just want to ask quickly um, on this before I go to the last our last section um, you know do, do you think that uh, that the the riders situation you know that we should be as a as a British Federation as a, a Barcelona England we should be shouting more about it or you just think that it is a unique situation just simply because those three phases are are, are, are being able to be executed yeah I think yeah, I don't necessarily think that the, the Federation has to shout about it I don't think they 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 really have to obviously because we we kind of started off uh, with like all three phases that like like you mentioned that I don't know maybe some more exposure about how we do things and maybe getting Russell on a call or how he's done it or how other BBL teams can actually have a have a full structure on how they do it I think could be beneficial to other people around the country um, but yeah I think there are more and more teams actually that you can see having more and more of a pathway but I think it's it's definitely improving I think more and more clubs will We'll, we'll make the make the jump and having different different phases if that makes sense. Okay. 
Uh, end of game questions. Uh, four quick rapid fire questions. Favorite uh, drill that you run? Or the, it, it could be one or two, but favorite drill? Favorite drill? Uh, 3v3 continuous. It's like a fast break drill where we just get up and down super quick. Awesome. Um, favorite all time basketball coach? Dave Harris, my coach. Oh, good, good for you. Yeah, good. He's, he's, he's one of the best best guys I know, and got so much respect for him. Yeah, awesome. Favorite player to coach? Always a tough one. But, that is a tough one. Am I allowed more than one? Of course you can. Yeah. Uh, I'll go with Hosanna Kitenge. Is the energy he brings is insane, and just having him on your team is insane. He's so smart. Um, Niall Harris, he's he was a phenomenal player to coach. He's so calm. He's like having, I don't know, as a coach, you've got always got that one player who's where, where they're on the floor, it makes you feel so much more relaxed. And he was that guy for me. He was just like yeah. so comfortable when he was on the floor. And one more from this year, actually, uh, Kanu Goodza. He is the the hardest working kid I've ever seen. So yeah, them, them three. Awesome. Awesome stuff. Um, and then lastly, uh, do you have a go-to saying or statement? Um, do you say... On, honestly, like, I don't think I do. I don't think I have like a... I probably do without even thinking about it. Um, but no, I don't think I've got a go-to saying or statement, unfortunately. Okay. If, <laughs> when I come back to you in four years' time, I'm pretty sure you will have... Uh, yeah, yeah, we always yeah. find a way of uh, eventually coming up with something or you'll realize that you're saying it often. So yeah. um, that's great. Coach, um, I know that, um, you know, you've got a lot, lot of stuff to do today. Um, you know, you're only at the start of your career and you've done an incredible job producing those players that I know we didn't talk much about, the ones that have gone abroad and already having some success at, at the professional level, um, you know, trophy-wise and then obviously you know, I'm not sure which direction you're going to go, but I, I, I can only think it's going to be up. And uh, I just want to uh, thank you for being on this Time Out um, podcast and um, wish you success for the rest of the season. Yeah, thank you very much. Appreciate you having me on. It was good. Thanks for listening to another episode of Time Out. You can now find all of our episodes on iTunes and Spotify. So please like, subscribe and let us know who you'd like to hear from in a future episode.